0: Gentlemen, welcome to the Friday Wrap Up with Greg Campbell, Paul Stevenson, and David Warren. Get the latest of what's going on in Ottawa when it comes to real estate, mortgages, and whatever else they want to talk about. Have a coffee, some laughs, and learn something new each Friday at 10am.
1: Happy Friday morning, everybody! (laughs) February 12th, this is the Friday Wrap Up. My name is Paul Stevenson. I'm here with my esteemed colleagues... Greg Campbell, David Warren, we have a stupendous show for you today, gentlemen. Lift your mugs.
2: How was the week? Yeah, I got the co- I got the coffee. I got the coffee coming. It's coming. Mm. Week was great. Uh, week was uh, really good. Lots of productive things getting done. Real estate sales once again through the roof. I have a couple listings that were delayed. Didn't get the work done. New builders didn't complete their job in time. Little things like that, you know. But otherwise, good week. That happens. Very exciting. Yeah, even builders so don't, don't finish report? on
3: time. That's what? What? What is what? that? We uh,
1: we actually have. Speaking of builders, I have a client that I've been dealing with since uh, 2019. Uh, that has a new build. This uh, that was supposed to be closing originally in uh, December of last year. Uh, it got pushed to February, then March, now April. Uh, And then we just got an update yesterday that they have no idea when it's going to be done. They said that uh, (laughs) they have, they have, they still have to install the kitchen. uh, And they said, uh, we have, the response was literally, we have no idea on a closing date yet. Hmm. Wow. (laughs) Always nice when you're buying a house. No, no idea. That's crazy.
3: Well, Well, easy to plan. Easy to plan that way. I feel like anyone that bought a place in the Claridge icon on Preston here is basically dealing with the same thing. It was supposed to be done like five years ago, and it's just, I don't know what the hell.
2: Yeah. Are those even worth anything more now? Or are they just like just dead value? I mean, until later,
3: I would say that <laughs> whoever bought in there originally, you know, would have bought like seven years ago there. I think they probably uh, will have done pretty well. Um, you know, I think those con I like those units originally were at like 200 uh-huh. K, you know, stuff like that. Crazy. So,
1: yeah. Yeah, if you bought two years ago, I mean, even if you bought a new build, you you can sell it for probably, uh, you know, Hell, if you bought right. last
3: week, you're, you're <laughs> good. If you bought <laughs>
1: last yeah. week. Yeah, insane. Insane. Yeah. This week, I feel like um, I've been reading a lot about, we talked about it recently, about people kind of going to the outskirts of Ottawa. And I, I've been reading a lot about uh, the boom in small town. Uh, you know, I drive through Smith Falls and Carlton Place often, and and every time I go through, it seems like they've thrown up a new development, or there's some sort of uh, new plans, or or demolition happening, or or something along those lines. So it's it's interesting to see the boom, though, because you know, people are paying premiums for these homes and such in in these smaller towns, and you just wonder, is that going to dry out? You know, are they doing that because there's no there's nothing available in Ottawa, or are they doing that because they actually want
2: to be living in Perth or uh, Renfu or where mm-hmm. have you? Yeah, I got I got some calls. Uh, I have two past clients actually that are looking to sell and move one to Perth specifically, and uh, the other one a uh, little bit further out. So um, yeah, interesting. They're like, yeah, we're both working from home. There's we're definitely we don't have to go back ever. So we're out of here. Mm. Yes, it's Amazing. you know it's becoming <laughs> common.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I mean you can't uh, like the va- and the values in uh, and sale prices in like the Carlton Place, purse, Renfrews are uh, are jumping just as dramatically as as here. Mm-hmm. And um yeah, I know we'll we'll obviously hit. It. We'll we'll talk later on about uh, values and you know how the hell. We oh yeah, I got I got, some, I got some good ones. <laughs> <laughs> I got some good ones this week. Some big. good big.
1: It's interesting to see the boom though. Yeah. I. I have been dealing one thing I I dealt with this week, which is completely off topic, but I I feel it's it's relevant because clearly if it's happening uh, consistently, there's a reason. But um, I've been getting a lot of questions about the effect of covid and credit on future eligibility for qualifying for mortgages. So this week alone, I probably had three or four discussions specifically about consumer proposals and what the rulings are around those. Uh, And I think it's worthwhile for anyone listening, Uh, you know, these are sorts of things that come up. uh, Someone had to, you know, they lost a job or, uh, you know, they had to go through a consumer proposal, let's say at the beginning of last year. And, you know, you have that, that conversation at the water cooler about, well, I'm never going to be able to buy a home or, well, this is, you know, seven years now I have to wait before I can purchase a house and so on. So, you know, I've, Kind of had, uh, like I said, many conversations about this, and and just worthwhile noting that most lenders and insurers, so all the most of the banks, you know, a lenders, and the insurers such as CMHC and, and Sagan and so on, um, they require you to have at least two new active trade lines before you can apply for a mortgage for at least twelve months. So if you got a discharge in January and you got two new credit cards, say, in February, you have to wait until the following February before they will consider your file for a mortgage. Wow. Hmm. That's crazy. And
3: with with zero mispayments, you know, that that consumer proposal or bankruptcy has to be paid out and discharged as well. So that's, you know, it can't Hmm. be actively being paying it. Yeah, yeah, discharge.
1: It's after the discharge date. So I've run into a few instances where people have had, one credit card from prior to the discharge that carried through that they have not missed payments on and so on. And they have one new trade line and they still are declined. So it has to be two new Too trade lines. Two new. Just a fun fact. Fun fact of the week. You know, That's a really um, good fact. Definitely. Yeah, you can. Now, there are lenders who will do less than that one year, but you would need to have a minimum of 20% down as a down payment. And then you're also looking at fees of anywhere from 4 to 6% on the mortgage. And likely a lender fee of probably one to two percent. Some brokers are charged a broker fee. We do not. Um, but those are when you get into the instances where you hear of uh, brokers charging ten thousand dollar fee on top of the mortgage and so on. That's uh, that's when you get the horror stories. But there are solutions. But just for anyone who you know is talking to a family member, or anyone who who has been through kind of financial hardship in the last twelve months, um, worthwhile. It's just a good piece of information. And as I said, I've been having more and more conversations like that lately. So seems to be something that's topical lately and, and worthwhile mentioning I thought
2: I just I just wrote that down because uh, if it ever comes up I want to know that it's a very good fact
1: and there's just some Thank you know you everyone goes through ups and downs obviously uh, when you're talking to someone who's in their 30s or 40s which is most of our clients uh, at least first-time home buyers, uh, you know you talk to them they've had ups and downs they changed jobs they you know went in of a relationship out of a relationship Th- those all have different financial uh, repercussions and you know doesn't mean that you're not necessarily a good home buyer or a good candidate it's just uh, you just got to make sure that you understand what you need to do and make sure that your ducks are in a row so that you can actually buy if that's a goal and i know we talked about that before that everyone's goal is not buying a house we just think it is because we work in real estate so uh <laughs> some people are more than happy renting and and you know they have no aspirations to buy a house they just find the the information fascinating so if you're talking to someone or if you you're in that situation yourself feel free to reach out to to David and myself, and we can definitely walk you through steps to, to get back on track to be able to buy in a in a year or two. Good or
2: info. Good info. Yeah. Uh,
1: Greg, what are you seeing? I know last we spoke, I know, you know, things were still hot. We were seeing lots of lots of offers coming in. What's, like, do we have any idea
2: how many listings there are currently? And like, what's the current state of the market? I, I don't have an updated listing list, but, uh, but I can tell you I've noticed more listings coming up lately um, off the top. And the prices are still just staggering. Uh, you know, we're seeing. I did one last week. We were 102 over. We we got one after a bunch of losses, and then uh, there was a couple in Orla- like Orleans. There's an Orleans townhouse that hit 717. Was listed at six. Hit 717. And yeah, Orleans. And um, there's another big one I saw in Riverside South. 899 Nine, sold for 1.262. Wow. Yeah,
1: I mean, excellent segue because, you know, we've been seeing... Yeah, exactly. We, we have been seeing <laughs> at times uh, recently in the last couple of weeks that we've hit that point of resistance where uh, <laughs> people are buying houses for a set price and then the lender is requiring an appraisal and the appraisal is coming in lighter than what they paid for the house. So, for example, some might pay... Seven hundred thousand and twelve dollars for that competitive offer, and the home might be appraised at six hundred and seventy dollars or six hundred seventy thousand. Sorry, not 670000 uh, $670, dollars. And then what do you do, right? What where where does that delta come from? Well, it comes from the buyers. They they have to usually come up with that money. So very important, as you know, I, you've alluded to, Greg, that sometimes you will do kind of like pre appraisals almost uh, to make sure that the home will actually hold that value. Um, Anything to touch on there before we bring in our very special guest?
2: Yeah, I mean, I found it very useful. I'm super excited, actually, to have uh, our guest today because, you know, last year, uh, it was easy for me to get... Uh, pre-listing appraisal on a property, you know, I'd make a call within, you know, a week we'd have somebody in and usually have it back within a few days. And now at the beginning of this year, when I started trying to get these uh, pre-listing appraisals on a couple of unique properties, it was like two to three weeks out. And then potentially up to two weeks after that, until we could even get the paperwork. Mm. So I was kind of like, okay, well, that's not happening. And so we opted not to go that route. We just kind of trusted ourselves. Um, you know, very, um, you know, transparent conversations with the, with the sellers and just telling them that we got to watch it week, week to week, day to day. And then the day before we list, that's when we're going to decide on the price. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and, and again, I've just, uh, I can, these appraisers are very busy right now. Yeah, so, um, I think
3: because of the, mar- the market with how crazy the pricing has been or, or over asking and things like that, every bank, every deal is ask- is triggering an appraisal. Yeah. Uh, everything is so out to lunch on what people are offering or the speed at which prices are escalating that it's every deal that an, apprais- an appraisal is needed. And it's just flooding, you know, the limited supply or the limited uh, number of appraisals that we do have in Ottawa. They're, um, you know, just so overworked, like you said, that it's, uh, it's yeah. tough to hit those. Just get you know, I wish
1: I wish there was a way that we could just bring an appraiser on, have a real conversation, and get some insight into the market. Why don't we do
2: that? Oh. Why don't we do that right now? Why don't we do that? Uh,
1: so we have uh, we have Emily Murdoch with us today, who is a Canadian residential appraiser and professional appraiser. Uh, Emily, welcome Hi. to the show.
4: Thank you.
1: You're you're like a celebrity. You're the you're you're the uh you know Kim Kardashian of more of real estate right now. Uh, appraisers, you know.
0: <laughs> it's the opposite, because you guys are more front-facing and I just lurk in the shadows.
2: True. There you True. go. Or the Don King. You kind of just uh The, the lurker. The lurker. <laughs> Kardashian, Don yeah. King, you
1: know, here we go. Just throwing <laughs> names out. So yeah, Emily, so thanks a lot for for taking the time to come on here and, and shed some light on on the the chaos that is that has been the Ottawa market. So I think first and foremost, you know, tell people what, you know, what you do. And I know obviously you're an appraiser, but give us some details, you know, Cole's notes from your, you know, from your mouth. What do you do and and how do you help home buyers?
0: Okay, Uh, so an appraiser, our job is to come to an estimation of market value at a particular point in time. Every appraisal is valid as of the exact date that we do it because as you know, market fluctuations can come and go. Um, Appraisers can be used for a multitude of purposes, uh, whether that be for your divorce, uh, capital gains assessment, um, an estate, but primarily a lot of appraisers right now, especially in this region are working mostly in financing. There's so much work to be done. Like there's so much work Um, And there is increased liability in other types of appraisals. There's a lot of liability in any appraisal you do, which I think is an important thing for a lot of viewers to know. Um, We can be sued all the time um, and by banks. So they have a lot of power and you can't really, uh, it's hard to defend yourself against a bank. So uh, most appraisers I think right now are working uh, mostly in financing.
1: there's a reason why most banks have a
3: shield as their logo, you know,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: I think, I think a lot of people, and even, um, you know, home buyers, realtors, mor- you know, even some mortgage brokers don't realize as well that there's a lot of inherent risk that an appraiser has um, hmm. from a liability standpoint for the value they're determining on a property that, you know, if somebody defaulted on that mortgage and a property was taken over, it was appraised by Emily and it doesn't hold that value that the bank can can will actually loop in the appraiser on that lawsuit as well for for loss on the mortgage
4: Yeah, um, but and we are the
0: ones cool. that they're going to come after if they can determine that we may have pushed a value and then someone defaults on their mortgage uh-huh. um, we kind of act as like an insurance policy for the bank of how they're going to reclaim that loss if that loss were to come to them uh-huh. Which I think is hard for some people to hear because no one wants to be thinking of themselves as a potential default risk. <laughs> no one. Yeah,
3: yeah no, for sure. But I mean, it's it's I mean, it's the reality of it, and I think Ooh. that um, you know where that liability stands, and, and why an appraiser can't just you know hit the most recent top sale and yeah. uh, you know and, and need to actually look mm-hmm. at you know remove those outliers because if you always you know hit that that upper threshold or that outlier, then, you know, that inherent risk is on you as well, right? Like, down the line.
1: And what's kind of your region or your, your demographic, Emily, as far as, like, you know, from, is it Cumberland to Canada, or what's kind of your, your actual uh, area?
0: So, I would say for me, I stretch definitely a lot further east than I do, uh, like, west or south. I live in the east and our company is based in the east, so we've always... I think we're one of the main companies that does a lot of Rockland without increased fees, because a lot of us live in this area, um, kind of Carlton place would be my cutoff to the West. And then I go out as far as Alfred. I don't love to, but I will
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, and that I think Alfred,
1: capital, you know? sorry. I said it's a poutine capital. You got to...
0: I've never got... I should go for poutine there next time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it also depends a lot on where people live. Most appraisers work. Um, they're independent contractors. So we do control uh, the flow of our work. So, I mean, at, at one point in my life, I was dating someone in Smith Falls. I went to Smith Falls to do appraise all the time. I no longer do that because it's very far away. Yeah. It is. So it, I think people's... Where they go depends on where a lot of factors and a lot of it is where you feel comfortable appraising. Um, Our is technically not that far away, but I don't ever appraise there and it would be, I would say like irresponsible of me to appraise there. Obviously we all have access to the same data, but there are nuances in markets um, that you come to know. Uh, And realtors I'm sure feel the same way about this. Hence why you might ask for an appraisal just to get some insider knowledge, but we are always asked to do the reasonable appraiser test. And if another reasonable appraiser wouldn't do it, you shouldn't either.
4: Um, Hmm.
0: So if we don't, if I don't feel comfortable, Dave asked me recently to do an appraisal that I was uncomfortable with, uncomfortable with for a few reasons, but a lot of it was that like, I don't have the knowledge for that particular area to defend the appraisal.
3: Hmm. I want to clarify, I wasn't asking her to do anything shady. It was just a property value that was an outlier. It was a high end home for a Carlton place. Emily, we need this to be $1 million. I, I wasn't trying to finagle something or get her to do anything shady. I want to put that out there. Lies. That's it. <laughs> Trying to throw me under the bus here, Emily. Holy shit. <laughs> Dave asked me to do something
4: very
1: unethical and I didn't feel comfortable. So I just want to put that out there. Um so, you know, Greg, I know you, you know, it's it's interesting to have both of you guys on the show because obviously Dave and, and myself on our side, we basically get firm number like when we see paperwork the numbers are firm already right greg you're not only listing properties and and choosing what price to list them at but you're also working with buyers to decide what price you should be going in at so mm-hmm. i'm interested to see both sides of that equation like for yourself greg you know what are you using to properly assess what price to go in at and emily like do you are you looking at uh like w- what are you considering when you're when you're actually appraising that property
4: fine. Well, when
2: i'm when i'm uh g- you know competing you know if we're looking at something looking at the market the way it is now and chasing the prices basically, you know if I see something that's reasonable lately, I've been projecting that it should be close to twenty five thousand more than what the last sale was potentially not 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 always, but if when you start losing if you lose a few offers and you start looking at the numbers that you're losing at I find that the average is much higher than than you would think it think it was. We got lucky on one last week because um, the the seller was only on for a couple of days and he ended up pushing the offer date. Oh. Uh, and not, I don't think enough people had seen the home and we were the first ones in, so we got in there and there was only three offers and we won. But we were still 102,000 over, you know. Um, but, and my clients had come up 27,000 than what they had done on the on the previous ones. So that and that took that took six losses to finally. You know, get to that number. I think so. It's terrifying because, like we said, there's always that guy that's going to come in with the with the um, the big the big number, and you can only lose a certain amount of times. But when it comes to the appraisals, I'm only really like, that's my question. Where what number are you guys working with? Because when I'm pricing a home, I'm obviously not pricing it at a hundred thousand over. I'm pricing it maybe a little bit more than what the last one was listed at. You know, in in anticipation, we know we're going to get more money for it right now in the current market. But do you work in a similar pattern? I know know you're basing it, but like I'm just trying to figure out what the balance is between the previous sale price and the previous list price for you guys when you're appraising.
0: Yeah. So I have a a lot of opinions on a lot of (laughs)
4: things. Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, So I think like a really important thing to consider is that uh, real estate agents are often they have to deal with the emotional side of the buying mm-hmm. and selling process. Whereas we are basically just looking at like hard line data, mm-hmm. uh, what the data says. And so when you get in a market and I, I know what it's like, I bought a house this June, I know what it's like to feel the losses, like knock it. And as an appraiser, I'm always me. I was like, okay, what is the most realistic value? I'll put like a little bit higher and I'm still being outbid. So the emotional drain, especially, you know, like we were living in a one bedroom apartment as a couple both working from home with no AC, like that's draining. You want a house. I get it. Um, but as an appraiser, we're not looking at that section. So you're kind of coaching your clients as like, right. what's your max? How bad do you want it? Um, versus we're just looking a hundred percent at the most recent data and another I think the way agents sometimes are taught in New York, because I know you guys have to do like a comparable class, right? Or there are mm-hmm. courses on selecting comparables. But sometimes the way comparables are chosen, I think in real estate uh, or for realtors, is a bit different than how we have to select comparables based on lender requirements. All of the appraisals we write for lenders are based on their set of requirements. And, um, Like, if you have a an end-unit townhome and you price it more like a semi, we are still going to look for the end units, regardless of whether other people might perceive it. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, how do I?
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Whenever anyone is buying a house, they're going to be thinking about the things that are important to them. Mm-hmm. And we are trying always to look at it from a very objective standpoint, not the subjective of like, like I live across the street from a park. I love that. I can't wait for my kids to play there and I can watch them from my window. I have a neighbor. He's an old gay man. He hates children. He complains about them all the time. Like these things have different values to different people. And we have to, uh, we have to remove that.
3: Right. So, so how are you in the market that like, you know, that Greg's explaining and obviously that we all know right now mm-hmm. in Ottawa of every listing, every offer is a hundred. Like I had clients miss out on one. It was, it went for 252,000 over asking, like it'd be ridiculous uh, this past week. How on an appraisal cause obviously an appraisal's triggered, obviously mm-hmm. uh, how, you know, how often are you not able to hit value on purchase appraisals right now? And like, how are you actually, you know, if there's no other sale price points like around there, like Greg was saying, you know, his list price would be, you know, maybe around what that last sale was and people are going 50,000, 75,000 more than that. Like, is there any, how are you determining or getting even so to, that
0: isn't data to support it? We're not going to confirm it. Yeah. Um,
2: so, but just for for, for example, it's like, let's just say, let's say now at this point, because yeah. prices have been getting increasingly higher. So, you know, four weeks ago, two row homes sell a hundred thousand over list, mm-hmm. not, not as easy for you to appraise the value. I imagine now, let's say there's 30 row homes that have appraised a hundred thousand over. So are are you. Are, are does it does it does an appraisal look that high now like are you booking that high even if the listings are coming out lower cuz they still are
0: and so the the prices I, up like i personally am not looking so i know some appraisers that do look at like what percentage above ask uh for okay. i don't i don't really look at that um because at this point that is the strategy people are using we can question the mm-hmm. ethics of that which i do but that's not my job right um, so i don't look at that but when when you're making huge leaps like you know bidding 50 to 100 grand more than the last reasonable sale that didn't mm-hmm. happen that long ago i can't ethically confirm that because what you're sure. doing you're making a crazy emotional decision to spend all your money on a home that may not actually be worth that much money mm-hmm. and like from the data probably isn't worth that much money even if it will be worth that much money in six months from now right like appraising isn't about well in six months it'll be worth it what is it worth it's
2: about time? right now today right? today and that's
3: what today. we talked about we talked about it you know the last Few weeks of of people are buying right now and paying prices of what it will be worth. You know, almost like buying with that same notion that well, it will be worth that in a year, or will be worth that in six months, or two years, or what have you. It's like they're paying that. I don't
0: know. You don't know that.
3: No, for (laughs) sure. No, I know, and that's that's what's crazy about it. So how how many like in a week? How many how many times did you say that you get a purchase agreement and you're not able to hit value? Like how often does mm-hmm. it come up like what percentage of your appraisals on purchases where it's over asking are you not able to like how many how many times are you breaking people's uh breaking people's days <laughs> and hearts how many <laughs> lives count. you ruin in a week I, I,
0: counts. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like i can't really give you great numbers i think it also depends on um, i'm not going to say that but um, i don't know maybe 50 percent um I that's a big also, number. Sorry, what?
2: That's, that's a big, big number. number.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it may not be like a ton of money. It might be a lot of money, but um, I think a lot of appraisers come from a standpoint of like, you should be happy that I'm letting you know that you're making. Right. A vote.
1: <laughs> yeah. People take yeah. it. You're right. Um, I mean, people make it a-,
0: a problem, but now everyone puts in offers with no financing conditions and now they're stuck in a really scary situation. Um, I also think that a lot of people are not making a good decision about the realtor that they select. I think people don't interview people. I don't think they think about the fact that their realtor is supposed to be a fiduciary. Uh, your realtor should care about your financial situation and in certain situations, advise you against buying a home. If you're not in a good situation, buying a house, isn't going to make it better, especially in this kind of market. Yeah. Um. And we see a lot of really scary situations where people, you know higher i'm going to say like green realtors and end up you know paying a lot of more money than they probably needed to and i think that's really scary
1: I, I, we we say all the time too that there's like especially for buyers there's no cost to you to using like whether you use greg or you use a realtor that got licensed yesterday it's the same cost it costs you nothing like there's no cost so you might as well use an experienced agent that knows what they're talking about knows the market and can and can look out for your best interest. Yeah. um i know that like there's kind of that uh age old or uh, you know old adage whatever the heck the term is uh that says you know something's only worth what someone's willing to pay for it right so if someone is willing to pay seven hundred thousand dollars is there any, I know it's funny to hear, say that, but I mean that, I mean, if someone's willing to pay $700,000 and I mean, that is on that day, what the home is worth because they're paying that right at least to the sellers,
0: which is fine. You can pay whatever you want for something, but the bank doesn't have to be also willing to do that. And I think that's another right. point. people forget that every loan you take, like most people don't own their homes. The bank owns your house. Mm. And I think people forget that the bank doesn't, no bank has to give you money. There is no obligation for a bank to lend you money. And I think a lot of people forget that. Um, we should have is- you
1: talk to a few of our clients.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, I hear all the time people being like, well, I'm not actually borrowing that much money. And it's like, okay, but you're still borrowing money. And yeah. no one is obliged to give you any money ever.
1: We, so- we say all the time, like if someone, if I was, if your friend was lending you 400, or if you were lending your buddy $400,000, what kind of due diligence would you do
3: for two percent for for two percent return return, like you know (laughs) crazy um you know yeah they're gonna want some confirmation of income or confirmation that you know what you're loaning on is not you know a piece of crap (laughs) for lack of better words it's it's
2: it's so important and you got it and and if you can't if you can't afford it but you can afford, yeah, anyways, I just, I, sorry, never mind. Go, go on, go on. I'm just going to, I'll get too deep into something else here. Go ahead.
0: <laughs> I like to say that like a mortgage broker's job is to convince the bank that the person is a good investment for them. And that my yeah. job is to let them know that the price paid, like the, the property is a good investment for
4: them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts. Cause you know, we will pre approve someone and say, you know, you're pre-approved up to say 700,000. That seems to be the number we're using today. So 700,000, and then they'll start shopping at, you know, homes that are priced at 680, 670, because that's just the natural instinct. So, I, you know, we've been telling people lately that you need to be shopping anywhere from 10 to 20% below your pre-approval, because you're not going to be competitive otherwise. But at the same time, if someone pays, uh, I'm trying to think where I was going with this. Someone pays the 700,000 um, pre-approval. Yeah, so we pre-approved <laughs> them. We hand them off to Greg. They go shopping. They're excited. They buy the house we advise them that you know this is what you can financially afford greg finds a home that fits all their needs and then they go out and buy a home that they think is their dream home right so our job as you said is to basically present their and we say this to clients like we're, we're looking at your overall financial picture and we represent you like we are basically going to the bank representing you i'm representing greg as my client i am greg in this instance this is the overall picture of this client this is why we think they would be a good fit for you as a lender And we provide them that information. But for the client, I can imagine, well, I know that it is probably extremely um, stressful and emotional and, and, you know, cause a lot of anxiety when they're dealing with so many different people. Like they're dealing with us, they're dealing with Greg, they're dealing with the lawyer, they're dealing with maybe an appraiser they don't know. Like there's so many people involved in their head. To us, it seems like a very clean, smooth operation but to them it's like well what happens now okay we got to get an appraisal what does that mean what how do you know what is an appraisal look mm-hmm. like people get really stressed right um so from your side like what's some advice you would give to people to not worry about the appraisal like what can they do in advance to make sure that they aren't stressed
0: i <laughs> i would say that your mortgage brokers should work very hard to manage your expectations as a client um and you yourself as a client should manage your own expectations as well um one tool that mortgage brokers uses a lot that mortgage brokers use a lot that I hate is purview. Um, purview for those that don't know, uh, actually, I can't really talk about this because I don't have access to it, but it basically brings a lot of data together and kind of gives you an idea of the value of your home. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys yep.
3: yeah, so it's a it's a it's a software tool uh, for that mortgage brokers can subscribe to. It's a subscription based service. Uh, you can look up any name, address, pin of a property, and it'll give you details of that property: what mortgages registered on title, who the owner is, uh, and some what prices were when they originally bought it, and what current prices are within the vicinity. You know, and kind of gives a an automated estimated value of the home. Uh, gives you a ballpark figure, and it's it is you know it's never accurate, and people you know like you're like I think where Emily's going is that people take that as being like the the all-encompassing value um what it should be used as is you know on the mortgage broker side is an estimation to give you a rough idea but not using it as kind of the gold
4: standard.
0: I mean I've had mortgage brokers show me purviews that estimate the value of a home at more than double what this like the home value should be and I think sometimes we'll cling to these numbers um And when we come back saying, you know, like, that's really off it, that can be hard to reconcile. Mm -hmm. Um, So don't love purview. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, Paul, what was the first question?
1: Well, just basically how people can, I guess, better prepare, like, you know, just so that they're not over overly worried about the appraisal side of things. But I think you're right. It it comes down to education and, and expectations.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of it is just like having your mortgage worker or your mortgage agent, whoever you're working with, just be really like clear about
4: mm-hmm.
0: the process. If there's going to be an appraisal or not, why the bank needs an appraisal. Um, this isn't doesn't happen as much with mortgage brokers, but some of the appraisal management companies where things are mostly coming from banks will call people and they'll be like, why do I need an appraisal? Who are you? Why are you calling me?
4: Uh-huh. And
0: that's really tough to mm-hmm. deal with because I don't think it's my job to tell people why they need an appraisal because I don't know. <laughs> your bank asked me to do it. I don't get any other information than do the appraisal.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so I think just better communication, honestly, between the client and the yeah. mortgage agent is usually the most important part. And I think especially when you're doing an appraisal for a refinance, a lot of people get really stressed about it um, because a lot of people mm. see that what we're doing is the same as if I'm looking to buy your house, but I'm not looking to buy your house. I don't really care about mess. That's not my job. My job is to put blinders onto those things unless you're living in a hoarding situation where there is structural like possible structural damage because I can't see anything mess in your home doesn't matter the state of your home doesn't matter Um,
1: yeah so mostly you're looking at comparable square footage uh, you know neighborhood lot size, et cetera, et cetera, right? Like the 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 basics, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. it's
0: based in where it's located and then the size and general overall condition. But again, I'm not nitpicking on very small things.
3: that you know, if you chose that vanity over that vanity, how dare you choose a black one over a, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, Emily,
1: we've talked about this, Emily, like you and I directly about how, you know, things like that, like a a new door or, uh, you know, a beautiful cabinet or something those definitely help with resale as far as you know it's going to make your house more sellable but it's not going to increase the value for an appraisal
0: yeah exactly yeah
1: Yeah. we do have a question here actually from from one of the listeners it says um from Alyssa. it says do the banks slash appraisers recognize or take into account that the price benches are rising as quickly as a couple of weeks now one outlier crazy comp versus seven to ten comps at the same price bench only of a couple weeks later or is it at simply as today's value? I think what she's trying to say is like, do you? And I think you kind of answered this indirectly earlier, but do you take into a fact, take into account the fact that there is low supply, that prices are going up, that immigrate or like uh, migration to Ottawa is going up? Like, does all of this factor in, or is it just strictly like as of today? Here's the comparables. Here's what it's worth.
0: Uh, I mean, I think we try to like the market itself is already taking those things into account, mm. and I think all of us are. If there is an outlier that we feel is very far outside of the range we probably are unwilling to use it because you can't know if someone will ever do that again
2: again right
0: Um, so like there's a i'm gonna use this specific example but there's a crazy townhouse um that just sold in riverside south and it actually is like the neighbor to a a, a appraisal i'm doing for you guys right now thankfully i don't know if they know about it but i hope they don't because uh, i will not be using it because it's sold for i think almost 100 grand more than any other comparable house in the last year um but and i don't see that as a sustainable trend like i don't think people are just going to keep spending 750 thousand dollars on a townhouse in riverside south and if they do I'm
4: questioning their financial
1: choices. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot. A lot of the times we get the question too, or not the question, but the comment when we, you know, especially on refinances. It's like, well, what do you, you know? What do you assume your home is worth? Because that's, I mean, we don't have any number other than just their opinion or our opinion when we're submitting that refinance for an approval, right? Like we don't have, or we use purview. Like there's usually not an appraisal that's been done, so we're assuming what the value is until we submit it and clients are always telling us, well, you know, a home just sold on the corner and they had, uh, they didn't even have a finished basement. Our home must be worth a hundred thousand more. Like that's always the case. There's always some comparable that they know of near their house. That is never as good as theirs. And they think their house is worth an extra hundred grand because of that, you know? So I don't know. Is there any resources that you know of where clients can, Aside from obviously paying for it, like, is there anything that they can use to just get a better or like narrow that scope on the value in advance of doing refinances?
0: So I think Greg might actually have better knowledge of this because I am not always super up to date on the real estate board rules. But I was under the impression that sales data was now becoming available to the general public, whereas before it was not. Is this true?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, they're big, they're working on it, especially okay. if they listen to the rap. I don't know where they're they're at, but it's been yeah, it's been a major topic for a long time.
0: Okay, so yeah. I mean, until that happens, I can't really see how, unless you have a friend with MLS access, you would get yeah. access to the data. Um, I think it's just
2: people that's, not, that's like, usually what that that it one is, one. or else they talk to a neighbor, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, like
3: I think people need to realize, like Emily was saying, and and Polly's not instance example as well, is that yes, that neighbor might have sold that one neighbor might've sold for X price, but until really there's three, like two others, uh, just, you know, that are in the same range, that can't mm-hmm. be, that outlier can't be used. Um, an appraisal, I think you have, you have to use three comparables, right? A minimum yeah. of three. Mm-hmm.
0: A lot of people will be like, oh, well, this house sold privately for this much, you should use this sale, but banks mm-hmm. will only use MLS data. Um, yeah, that's all we can use when we,
3: why is that why not use private sale data
0: because you can never really know the conditions under which that sale took place right. mm-hmm. uh you don't Fair. know if there were like extra things put in there where's the okay. furniture and like there's so many things you Some just
1: side agreements to... side Pardon? agreements for sure side agreements
0: yeah exactly so you just mm-hmm. you can't know those things fruits
1: and vegetables for a year who
2: knows you know mm-hmm. you lifetime supply of gas <laughs>
0: <laughs> <pretty>
2: <laughs> did that one you were talking about emily it's uh 750 did that happen to be white Cliffs?
0: yes sir were you involved that uh
2: no my mother was <laughs>
0: oh my <God>. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny like my friends uh i like know i have at least three degrees of connection between me and the person who bought it and i'm just like you're an insane person but
2: yeah and they live they're listing their house i think next week it's right around the corner yeah.
0: Well, I hope they get somewhere close to what they paid.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. It's, I mean,
0: it's a great backyard. It's a great backyard.
2: It's, it was the yard. The yard was the thing, right? I mean, I couldn't believe it. It's a, is it a semi or a row? And it's got the pie shape. They had the rink in the yard or something. It's massive. That's really it, nice.
3: <laughs> they, I, I wouldn't say you don't wanna, you want in to. You want to. You an
2: extra fifty k.
3: Yeah, you get
0: maintenance for the rest of your life on that. <laughs>
3: yeah. You almost want to when you're overpaying like that. You almost want to set closing date of like three months out and wait to get the appraisal yeah. for like two months so that That's some good. sales have had time to catch up. Almost.
0: That's a great strategy.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> recommend.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, sorry, go, go ahead, Dave. I was just going to say, like I, you know, as an example, this week there's a a house um, in Canada that a client, you know, in on multi offer. They sent me a note of how frustrated they were because they went, you know, 125 over and lost it. It went for 817, 238 thousand over asking. Like how, you know, the the list price in that case would have been set, as Greg said, you know, close to what the uh, you know what the last sale was. And in that case, like you know, you know, and, and Emily, you touched on it earlier. I didn't
0: take that statement. What's that? I the like that it would be.
3: No, like sometimes it is artificial. Like sometimes it's listed artificially low to in yeah, you know for multi offers. Yeah, I get that. I, so
4: for sure. I think that happens a lot.
3: Yeah, I mean that is certainly a strategy. But in a case like that of people seeing, you know, in this case, two hundred thirty-eight thousand over asking, um, let's call it that again. I think you, you know, you touched on Emily of like, you know, a realtor, the realtor has a fiduciary duty to like also make sure that that buyer can afford it. Um, you know, if there was a shortfall or anything like that, but like, how do you deal with looking at the list price and you know, eight seventeen it went 238 over asking like that's 50, you know, what meant, it would have been listed at yeah. under 600,000. So it sold for like 40% over asking, like, how do you take that into account on a valuation?
0: yeah I just think that, like right now that's not really something we're taking into account because realistically, um, I think appraisers in general, like we we do struggle with realtors. I'm sorry, Greg, also <laughs> <a little laughs> awesome in the mix, but um it's almost like a posterity move now, like really under underlisting with the hopes that you get these insane numbers, so you end up in the Ottawa citizen, like yeah. um is it really 238 over list price or is it just that like you listed it way lower than it needed to be listed? Yeah. Um, and I think, I mean, it's almost like this weird teasing game that people are playing that instead of just listing the house at a price that it's probably going to sell at, um, you're just like, Oh, come make a bid, come make a bid.
2: No, we're, we're, it, there's a big shift, I think in Ottawa right now. And I've spoken to some realtors in Toronto, and they've been saying that they've been following the trends here and they've said exactly that they said watch the realtors that keep pricing low because there's when that started happening in toronto they were blacklisted hmm. like hmm. basically uh, like i don't know the the process of, of what happened but they were just like you know that guy's basically you know don't work with that person so do you um, think they're, they're underpricing and they're trying to do the celebrity thing, get more money, promotion and all this stuff when it's just nonsense and it didn't make sense. This guy was saying there's like, it's crazy. There's like groups about that. Um, and he says just, he's like, watch the agents that are actually doing that in your city. He's like, you'll see it soon. So it's happening. So do you think a lot of that, Greg, and
1: I guess Emily, I'd be interested in your opinion on this too. And Dave, if you're interested. Um, <laughs> I Just wondering, Greg, like, do you think... Like when agents are doing that, are they doing it because they're fearful of the fact that if they price it accurately, they may not get the multi offers of and so on. And of then course. they look like the, sh- the crappy realtor that doesn't get the multi offers of the hundred K over asking. And personally,
2: so on? Like is, is that personally that's what I think. I, I, I think that personally they're not equipped to have the proper conversation with their client mm-hmm. about what's going on in the market and just have the... Um, just, they're not, not as confident in themselves to get the deal done. And so they're mm-hmm. doing this elaborate kind of scheme, I guess, to, you know, to be that guy. Um, that's, that's okay. definitely the way I see it. You know, it, you get, you got to have a very transparent conversation with your clients about the market before you list um, just so that you know, all the strategies. I mean, in the end it's up to the client too. Right. So the client could say, no, you know what? Forget that. I don't want to list that high. I want to list below the last five sales, you know, d- doubtful that hmm. that would happen because then they're risking losing all their money. But I'm just saying, if the client says that, that's what they want to do, you're kind of tied. If you want to do it. I mean, it just becomes, you know, how you feel about the whole transaction about your relationship with that client. Yeah. I like pricing fairly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're yeah. so much more than the realtor, you know? So much more. <laughs> Although I, I will say, you, you know what? It, it is crazy, though. That price that I put on um, Sydney at, at, the, at the beginning of the year, that was tough because actually, Emily, quick story here. The last sale on this street was renovated, finished basement totally updated and it sold for three fifty. So I had one that was moderately updated carpet, not hardwood uh, upstairs. And, uh, the, the kitchen, the bathroom was renovated, you know, 10 years ago, um, unfinished basement. Uh, anyway, so I priced it. What was it? 40, 40,000 less thinking like, you know, we didn't know what the market was going to do. It was the first week of January. There was nothing out. And we sold it for 152 over. Right. And that this trend just kept going. So, that, so like you're saying about, about pricing, did I price it low in anticipation to get more money? Absolutely not. My seller was very happy with the list price. He's like, if you can get me that much money, he's like, I'll be fine with it. And I was showing him the comps and he's like, it seems reasonable and fair. I'm like, great. And I mean, I was expecting maybe to sell it at 350 I mean, not yeah. 450 or 462 or whatever, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it was definitely a blend of, I think, the agents that are like yourself, Greg, responsible and actually pricing it where... Where it they believe it should be, and like you said, where the where the comps are, recent comps, and so on. And then there's other people that are, like Emily said, you know, they're looking for that maybe Ottawa citizen headline, or or they're doing it specifically, you know, knowing that their buyers are not informed, or their sellers are not informed and don't know the market. Um, they're kind of at the realtor's mercy, right? They they can price it to make that. Headline, or to be the you know, be able to post on Facebook. Oh, you know, two hundred thousand over asking, or whatever, whatever it looking is. Looking
2: for that social media clout. You, and yeah, you, and you know what? <laughs> <there's some clout. laughs> to be fair, like <laughs> the To be, f- <laughs> be fair here, chaser. I want to. I want to be fair here. I've been doing this a long time, so that my perspective is a little bit different. There's a lot of new agents who are in here in the business. They're hungry and they're doing what they think. You know, they're out there trying to be the big shot. And and you know, I get it. It's like you're a young agent, you're you're hungry, you're just doing what you think you need to do. You figure it out as you go along, obviously. Mm-hmm. So I can't just, I'm not here just knocking agents. I'm saying everybody has their place in this business. Everyone's been doing it a certain amount of time and they do what they do and you know they learn as they go. So do I think there's any agents out there who've been doing it as long as me that are doing that with prices? Absolutely not. There's no way. No. So, you know, it's, everybody's got their own thing.
0: Should
2: but I is it good? No.
0: To go back to what Paul said about the uh, age-old adage of uh, everything's worth it, someone is willing to pay for it. Um, appraisers have more so been taught that uh, market value is what a knowledgeable buyer would pay um, for something, where basically we're all parties have the same information. And we no longer are operating in a market where and I guess we never have but it's worse now no one has the same information and because you don't need to disclose offers um which I hope they will be coming out with shortly uh people are just taking shot in the dark so uh, while you got 152 over no one knows if the next highest offer was only 35 over Mm -hmm. um so you're kind of you're really just like in this weird competition where you know nothing and
1: you're you're throwing darts
0: yeah. You're only competing and maybe one house for some reason, they're just like, aren't as many buyers at that time. So they get like a good deal versus the next house, which isn't as nice. Suddenly someone just like, I want a house. Here's my money. Mm-hmm. So it just makes for a really wild west.
1: You said it, Emily, like there's a lot of nuance to, to people's motivations and there's people that are going to be willing to pay, a hundred more than what the next person is because they, like you said, they, they need to find a house. They start a job Monday or whatever. They just don't have time to keep going. They need to buy something. So, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what the home is worth as we've learned today. (laughs) Sorry, Greg, cut you off there.
2: No, I was just going to say, I, I haven't followed up on this recently, but I know they were talking about uh, being able to disclose uh, offer price to other people involved in the transaction as opposed to just everyone blindly going in, because I know a lot of people I've been talking to, the top offer is generally like 25,000 to 50,000 over with the last four were, you know, like they're, they're not even close. We're then going to see deals. the prices, right? We're going to see the 221, 223, 224, 224. Yeah, but that's, but that's, <laughs> this is the thing. Like, and I think it's, you know, it takes out a lot of the, uh, the extra stress that the buyers don't need. Like, you know, you've got 30 offers. It would be nice to know, okay, we have the offer at this price, you know, do you want to compete? Right. as mm-hmm. And then they can just kind of either be like, I'm out, you know, and it goes to that. Yeah. Mm. I think that needs <laughs> to be implemented awesome. here. Yeah. Like I, I think that needs to be implemented here. Like it's just, uh, it's too much because and it's going to be it'll be make your job easier makes our job easier the, the clients aren't as frustrated it's, it's more fair um,
3: and it's fair it's, it's fairer more fair. to the
2: buyers and to the general yeah, public definitely. like the the shots in the dark
3: and and like you said you know the closest offer might have been 25 50k less um you know that's just now they're getting an appraisal that's not hitting that value so they're having to that's come out of pocket exactly for it, it as well and scramble for this these funds or you know, it's uh, a system
2: yeah. like that would be much better for the lenders, for the appraisers, for everybody. You know, yeah. it's. I think it's a good system that should definitely come into play. I have it's one last. question. red
3: tape,
1: we got to go for through. I have one last question for you, Emily before we uh, we wrap up here. So, how many you you mentioned fifty percent are typically.
0: I really don't know. In. I just made that
1: up. <laughs> Let's just say around around from zero to fifty percent. Um, what what percentage of those do you think, or what percentage of files you see that are being double ended by real estate agents?
0: Oh, the appraisals
1: are not coming in at value.
0: actually not that many. Um, I would, I'm very shady to realtors when they double end. I think it's very inappropriate.
2: Um, I don't do, I don't do that. Emily, just (laughs) definitely.
0: I think it's very unethical. Um, but I haven't seen it as much. Um, yeah. I think I've only seen like one in the past, like six months.
4: I
1: just feel like in this market, you'd, you'd be seeing that more, right? Like Greg gets a listing, not you, Greg, but someone like someone, unlike Greg gets a listing <laughs> and uh, you know, thinks like, Ooh, I have a buyer that would probably pay this amount for this, you know? Um, mm. Yeah.
0: Well, I guess you sometimes see that, but it usually they just don't even ever put it on MLS. It never hmm. goes to market. Um,
4: mm-hmm.
0: You kind of like loop them in. I think, uh, I guess I shouldn't name names, never mind. There's no,
4: like definitely no, do not. No. <laughs> do not.
0: But, um, <laughs> off,
3: off, air, off air, tell us the names, but... Uh, yeah. not on air. <laughs> off air, tell us everything. <laughs> <laughs> tell us the dirt. The wrap-up's going to go till 12, but the
2: last hour...
0: Is off. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually like not that common. I think, maybe there's a, I think there's been a lot more education to buyers that they don't have to pay for an agent, so they might as well have one.
4: Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm.
0: and i would hope that they understand because like there's no more like open houses where like the realtor there tries to poach you as their client Mm -hmm. and then double in it um so i think it's just less that's
3: a good point i never really thought of that though that uh that the you know with open houses not being a thing right now other than the the virtual um that that you know that that opportunity doesn't come up as often, right? Like I never really thought of that—that that an open house kind of gives you that opportunity for that agent, listing agent, to double end mm. in that capacity.
1: We do have a comment from Lionel. He just says eBay solved this years ago. He said you put your max bid privately, and it raises your final bid based on others' offers up to your max. Wow. Let's just
0: uh, let's just put our heads on eBay. Then.
1: Why not? <laughs> totally mood boost. Hi, Boris. Let's
2: do it. Let's
4: mood wrap boost. it up.
1: So, Emily, and for anyone that's new listening, uh, we try to end the week with a little uh, little positive vibes, some mood boost, some jokes. So here we go. We got four today. Some some Valentine's themed. Uh, number one. Did Adam and Eve ever have a date? No. They had an apple. <laughs> number two. <laughs> Why didn't the skeleton want to send any Valentine's Day cards? His heart wasn't in it. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I once fell in love with someone who only knew four vowels. They didn't even know I existed. <laughs> <laughs> I like that in the one. last one. This is very topical. If the founders if the founders of Zoom could have seen the future. COVID would have been a better name. <laughs> oh man!
2: Good one.
1: That's wow. actually amazing.
2: 50%. Some, of, some of these jokes are so intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: I know we, I know we do have a lot of. I know, Greg, you mentioned there was a, a lot of new realtors that were listening in, and and um, you know we've been kind of actively promoting people to download the show. So the show itself is aggregated on all uh, podcast platforms. So if anyone, you know, if you, if you wanted to listen offline or if there's anything that you missed or if you tuned in late, you can definitely catch the full episode on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, anywhere that you listen to podcasts or you can just listen back on Facebook. Uh, just a reminder, you can search FridayWrapUp.com as well and you can search all past episodes there. This was episode 22. We'll be back That'll next be week. will be up online later today. Emily, any final thoughts?
0: Uh, Don't be in a rush to buy a house.
1: Perfect. Very good (laughs) advice. (laughs) All right, everyone. We'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Thanks. Emily, again. Thanks Thanks a lot, Emily.
2: Have a great weekend. weekend. The Friday Wrap-Up, brought to you by Blue Panda Realty, ReferralMortgages.com, and Stephen Hopkins' video, No Flash.